try to finish Hebrews, and luckily as I begin to read and begin to study Hebrews this week, it kind of leads to both. So I'm going to do both. I'm going to finish up Hebrews today, and I'm also going to talk about a life uh, in response to thankfulness, in response to appreciation and gratitude. We're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12 and 13 today, kind of finishing up. So I wanted to, to just right off the bat, I was talking about this last week, I just spent four days uh, hunting uh, up in uh, North Texas, and I tell you, one of, the th- one of the things that's just become dear to my heart, uh, you know, I went hunting a lot as a young kid, uh, have grown up now, loved hunting, I got back into it, um, I kind of left it there for a while, you know, uh, being a teenager, it becomes not as interesting as hanging out with your friends and hanging out, you know, uh, well, when you're single, look, p- picking up girls, uh, things like that, right? I eventually, you know, picked up my wife, and there for a while, even after that, I didn't, I didn't hunt a lot there for a while. And then after I started having kids and started realizing, you know, I don't have any other hobbies. I don't, ha- I don't do anything else, you know, but work. And, I, and I, after a while, like, you get tired of that, right? Amen? Uh, you can get tired of just, like, working and, and going home, working. Going, it's, you need something that creates that break, and uh, that allows you to take time to reflect, to breathe, to sit still, things like that. And one of the things I did was pick up hunting back again. And uh, even as I was out this past week and I'm sitting in the deer stand, um, to me, uh, you know, I don't know how much if you're an outdoors type person, it's kind of weird if you live here and you're not, but um, I love being outdoors. Uh, It's it's in the outdoors that when I'm deer hunting, and I'm... Honestly, quite honest, 98% of the time I end up watching things more than killing things. And, and I enjoy it. God's creation. One of the neatest things I saw this past week was not a big buck, even though I did, and that was fun. But one of the neatest things I had never seen before is on the way to the deer stand, I came across a skunk. Now, I've seen a skunk many times before, but I've never seen one chasing a grasshopper. And this grasshopper is jumping backwards, you know, just back and forth trying to get away from this skunk. And this skunk was like a cat. It would jump and just pounce trying to catch it. And it would pounce over here and then jump for over here. And it was the cutest thing I'd ever seen. I've never seen a skunk act like that. I've never seen one chase a grasshopper or anything. They always seem to be like out of place. Like they're like, uh, you know, anytime I've seen a skunk, it's usually like he stops and goes, oh my gosh, I, f- I forgot. Where- it's like an Alzheimer's patient, right? I mean, it's like, I have no idea where I'm at. I-, I don't know. Like, I don't even know why I'm here, right? That's most of the times with skunks, and that's how I feel when I see them often too. Like, I have no idea why I'm here either. Uh, let's just part ways and say we saw each other kind of thing. Uh, but, but here was this neat thing that's happening out in the woods that I normally, have- I've been in the woods for years and years and years and have never seen that before. Be- being out there made me appreciate the work of God's hands. You know, it's there that I look at creation, and I sit, and I I am in awe and in wonder of what God has done. Uh, And I enjoy it by literally just sitting and watching. I I was thinking just even so much as the wind, you know. Uh, Somebody said something to me the other day. They said, you know, who... You know, it's pretty cold out here. You need to figure out a way to turn that off. I said, listen, man, we just got the AC fixed. It was broke all summer, right? I mean, come on now. I mean, you know, you got got to appreciate the changing of the season. It's starting to get colder. The the wildlife starts to pick up and move because they got to or they'll freeze, right? And and like you start to see things you don't normally ever see. And as the season changes, there becomes a different beauty. Just like we know that eventually winter is going to change, right? And the things that are dying now are going to come back and it's going to be spring again. And we're going to see all the new colors. And come on, we all look at it when it starts coming. Look at the spring. All the trees are starting to bud again. All the green starts to come into the gray. And we begin to just be drawn to such things. We, we learn to appreciate God's gift of creation because it is a gift. Now, the other thing that happens a lot in the deer stand with me is I end up praying a lot because I'm out there all by myself. 
And I don't know about you, most pastors talk a lot. I, I can highly be accused of talking too much at times. All right, my whole life I've been in trouble for talking a lot, right? Little did I know it was going to be my gift. It was going to be my gift. But because I talk a lot, I tend to want to talk a lot. Uh, and if you're hunting, there's nobody to talk to. And if you talk loud, uh, you will scare everything off. So I tend to talk a lot to God. And I'll have discussions back and forth with the Lord. And, and I, I want to tell you this, though, there's nothing more wonderful than private conversation with God. There really isn't. And we can make it sound silly and I can make it sound funny, but the truth of the matter is I get to sit alone, I can talk to the Lord, it's private, and for the first time, probably rarely that I get to have here, is complete silence. No, no drawn in of technology, no draw in of TV or football or anything else. In that blind, I need things to be quiet, so I need things to be still, and I need to be able to listen. And it's in those moments I have some of the most wonderful times with the Lord. I really do. My wife, she's learned it now at this point that she says sometimes Jim just needs to go sit by a tree. That's just what he needs sometimes, you know, and she understands it. And so when I say how I need to go, she goes, okay, you do. Go sit by a tree. Go find the Lord. Go get quiet and be still and know that he's God. And so those private times are, are wonderful. It's, it's that moment where I come to him, where he comes to me. There's no noise that drowns out his voice. I like to think that in that moment, I join in with the apostles who shared such wonderful privacy with the Lord. In Luke 10, 23, it says, when they were alone, uh, he turned to the disciples and said, blessed are those who see. Now, he goes on to teach a lesson. But here is the thing about Jesus is publicly he spoke in parables to where not everybody could understand. Then it, then it actually would say, and privately he came to them and explained all these things. You ever wonder why you, you probably have so many questions for the Lord? Maybe because we don't spend enough time in quiet. Maybe because we don't spend enough time in silence with him. Maybe he is willing to be just like he was with his apostles with you. That in the privacy of just you and him, he'll reveal all things to you. But we've got to make that time. We've got to make that time. Um, how precious do those moments become when we receive revelation from God? How precious do they become when God speaks to something in the middle of the silence and we hear him? You know, I couldn't help but think there's a... There's a um, in the passion is one sense uh, where, where Peter is locked eyes with, with Jesus. But there's this moment in the book of Acts that I always like tears my heart. And uh, I never thought about it before to honestly, uh, because I've been around teenagers a lot, I've seen a lot of teenager movies. And, and I just showed like a video last week of Narnia. And I don't mean to talk about Narnia this week, but I couldn't help but think as I, as I wrote some of this about uh, in, in his book uh, called uh, Prince Caspian. Um, he... C.S. Lewis describes this farewell between the Pivensies, who were the characters from the big part of, of the Narnia books, who have now are, are getting ready to leave this world of Narnia, and they are finding out that they are never coming back. They're never going to see Aslan like they see him then, right? And I can't help but think of the book of Acts. This is why it kind of draws me in, the book of Acts where Peter and the apostles are standing there, and this guy who had become their best friend for three years, their best friend. They were willing to die for him. Peter cut off somebody's ear for him. Peter was rebuked all the time and still stayed with him. Peter loved him and loved him and loved him. Can you imagine when he had to saw him go away? Can you imagine the terror in his heart, right? I mean, this, this, this struggle here to watch your friend who you've known, I mean, intimately, intimately. And now he leaves and he's gone. That private time for Peter, as we find him in the book of Acts praying, where God begins to speak to him, became the only time he got to see his friend again. We need to value the Lord like that. Those moments where we sit in silence and in quietness, where we take back all the things of the world and we push the distractions away, 
You know, one of the things that I've seen, I, we have a ton of conferences out today, but one of the things we don't do enough are silent retreats. It's truth, man. We don't, we don't do enough retreats. I went to a retreat a couple years ago, what be last year, where literally there was tons of time where they were just like, go be by yourself, write in this journal, here's some passages to look at, and you just, you spent a lot of time in solitude, a lot of time in the quiet. You and the Lord, work some time out. You don't need anybody else to figure you out. You need Jesus, right? And in this moment, man, and I bring up the whole hunting thing to say, man, it's in those moments that I become thankful. In those quiet little moments where God begins to speak little nuggets of wisdom to me, that I become very appreciative of what God has given me or what he's blessed me. I become very aware of my blessing, right? Because one of the things, if you know this about me, is is I kind of, I don't know if it's an anxiety thing or whatever, but like as soon as I leave to go hunting, I long for my wife and kids, like immediately. Like I will call them up every day, even though like I might be going like, oh, I'm looking for some time away, but I'm going to call my wife like two or three times a day. That's going to happen. I'm going to miss her. I'm going to, why? Because I appreciate her. And being away from her makes me appreciate her more. Being away from my kids makes me appreciate and love my kids more. Does that mean I need to go away to appreciate them? No. It means that when I come home, I try to figure out ways to show them my appreciation, to show, to show gratitude really for who they are and what they've become. We need these moments. We need these moments. When we have them, they become precious to us. And when they become precious to us, it's then that we start to become thankful and appreciative and we start to walk in gratitude. The seed of things that start in the quiet place with God, right? That's where it starts. Thankfulness starts in the quiet place with God. Thankfulness starts in our relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 12 Verses uh, 23 through 24 says, You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Verse 28 says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him in holy fear and awe. Let us be thankful. What are you thankful for? There's like a lot, right? I mean, I, I know that if I sit here and started making up a list, I could probably get pretty far. We would name everything and we could be there for a while, right? We would name like our kids, our family, our spouse, our friends. The list goes on. I'm, you know, I'm thankful for my, the, where I live and what I have and the, and the things that God has blessed me with. And we could just make a list and list and list. But thankfulness is really, is really the fruit of something else. Thankfulness is the fruit of appreciation. See, thankfulness is, is really birthed from appreciation. And thankfulness creates gratitude. It's kind of like a little formula there. To appreciate something, according to the dictionary, is to recognize the full worth of something. So once we recognize that which is valuable to us, it's easy to be thankful. So everything starts in appreciation. I begin to appreciate my life. Why or when? In those quiet places when, when all those things aren't there. When all those things, when everything is stripped away, I start to appreciate the things that have been clothed on me, right? That have been added to my life. You see, I started out as a son who had brothers. Now, I still have brothers. I still have parents. But there comes a time, right, 
where uh, they leave, you leave the family and you get your own family and you begin to, I begin to have a wife and God had blessed me with a wife, somebody who would come along and have a life with me. And then God blessed me with children. He gave me something to lead, something to pastor and help grow along the way. These are blessings. And let me tell you, when I really realize, when I really begin to appreciate them is when I begin to be in the private place, the quiet place with God. When I don't have all those things there, when those noises of those things aren't prevalent. Just like, you know, I, I always see somebody making fun of it. I don't know about you, but we have a fan just for white noise in our bed, bedroom, right? It's not even, it's like pointed at the wall. It, it has no purpose of blowing anything. It just makes noise, right? Do you, you don't even know it's there anymore. Like, I, I can tell it's not there. Like, this, this past week when I was hunting, I, I had to tell my dad, I was like, listen, turn on something. We got to turn on something. I can't even sleep. It's way too quiet. Right? I got to have some noise. I got to have some of that thing. A lot of us, man, the reason we struggle to appreciate things is because it's become white noise in our life. Some things in our life have become white noise, and we fail to appreciate what they do until they're not there anymore. You see what I'm saying? Appreciation is the beginning of thankfulness. It's the beginning. Gratitude is the quality and the revelation of our thankfulness outwardly and our readiness to show appreciation and return kindness. So basically it looks like this. This is all the fruit of a thankful heart, for you cannot possess gratitude without being thankful, and you cannot be thankful without appreciating the things of your life. Right? So appreciation equals thankfulness equals gratitude. Gratitude is when you show your thankfulness, which is what we all must do. Now, here's the thing we're always going to face. This is why I think we struggle to be thankful, because life is hard. Life is hard. I talk, about it, I talk about hardship a lot because I don't know anybody yet that just like walks around and goes, dude, my life's like the easiest life there ever is. I don't know anybody that says that. Nobody lays claim to that. I think they're like scared. You know, like in baseball, we call it a jinx. You know, like we would never say that because that would be the jinx. So even if our life was good, we would never say that because that could be jinx and that could mess it all up, right? So, I mean, there, hey, there's some truth to that, right? So, so, but there are. There's struggles in life. There will be times of pain and hurt. Life guarantees it. And the Bible asks us to be thankful in all things. This is where it gets hard, guys, because it's easy to come in and go, well, aren't you thankful? Look at all the things around you. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. But let's make no mistake. I mean, yeah, I do believe that the, the dominant part of your year is going to be good, but there are going to be times every year where you're going to be tried. Right? What kind of person would you be if you had no trials? Come on. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 says this. Now, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll, let me get to that in a minute. No, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It says it's painful. I just couldn't help. This is like not in my notes, but I couldn't help but think of the time in the Marine Corps where they're telling me to do push-ups, and I'm having to go, discipline, sir, loyalty, sir, like it's like some good thing, fun thing. It's not fun. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So painful life, yes, but it also will be a promising life. Promising because we understand that trials and tribulations are what? Working towards something greater. Conforming us into the image of God. And in this way we never lose, right? We can be thankful in all things, whether it's good or whether it's bad, right? Paul, that's, that's basically what Paul would say, because they're both working towards our good. It's like we can't go wrong. When bad things happen to us, that's all right. It just makes us better. When good things happen to us, it's like praise the Lord. 
Like, when are you not praising the Lord? I don't know. I praise the Lord all the time. Bad things are happening to me. Praise the Lord. Good things are happening to me. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine how people were frustrated with Paul? Can you imagine torturing a Christian should be frustrating, by the way? Like, torture me. If I die, I go to Christ. Yeah. And they're like, well, we're not going to torture you and let you live. Then yeah, that's, that's Christ. I earn it, man. I get to sit here and keep, keep evangelizing to you. Can you imagine how frustrating that was for people who wanted to kill Paul? If you kill me, it's gain. Right? That's what he says. If you let me live, I'll tell more people. I mean, I'm, it's a win-win scenario for me. I can't lose. I, that is a frustrating position. Now, think about it. You should be frustrated. Your enemies should, should be frustrated with dealing with you. They should be. What they're expecting is for you to reciprocate hate for hate. But a life lived in thankfulness, a life of appreciation, and, and, and a life that shows gratitude is a life that will frustrate your enemy. It will. It's a life that knows that it always wins. I am thankful because even in my hardships, my character is improved, right? I mean, I have a tendency to say things that I learned from the, even from the Marine Corps and just good leadership. You know, when something hard happens or difficult happens, I go, that's the stone by which I sharpen my sword. That just makes me stronger, right? And, 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 I, and I tell these, I, I like speak life into myself and I tell these things, listen, hardship is just going to produce character like the Bible says. So you know what? I'm not worried about that. God's just trying to produce a better character in me so I can become not a better me, but a better Jesus Christ to people. This is not a, a better me sermon, by the way. It's all promising. Can you imagine if we lived in the fruit like that, man? If we lived with that kind of attitude where we always win. I always win. Well, you lost here, I know, and I'm going to show you how to lose right. I'm going to show you how to lose gracefully where I can still love you even though I didn't win. Man, that frustrates people. That frustrates people. Remember what the Hebrew writer said here. He says, let's be thankful and please God. Let us be thankful and please God. So how do we please God in thankfulness? What, is a, what, <clears throat> what does a life of thankfulness produce? What should it produce? The irony here is that I've never heard a sermon really that presses us in this direction. But then again, I don't think I've ever heard anyone honestly uh, preach from Hebrews on Thanksgiving. Um, but let me, let me show you what this life is because he follows it up in, in chapter 13, what a life in thankfulness looks like, what a life that pleases God looks like. Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 9. He says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show us hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Let's break it down because that's a lot. That's a lot. So if we're going to break it down, let's look at it like this. First off, keep on loving each other. I can't say this enough. This is where we struggle really bad. We struggle loving each other. Heck, we struggle loving ourselves. 
John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world <clears throat> that you're my disciples. God is going to change our hearts, man. All right? I mean, half the reason we struggle to love, I mean, it doesn't help us. Everywhere we look out at the church, we struggle with one idea of the church. There's so many denominations out there. Non-denomination is a denomination now, you know? I mean, it's just, it's crazy how everything has got up. We've thrown up walls for all our different beliefs, for all our different translations, and it's hard to even see that we love each other. I mean, we just struggle so hard here. We're going to have to have God start to change our heart. We've got to start finding a way to love other people. We've got to find places where we connect, where we places we have in common. One of the things that we have seen over the years, um, I've spent a lot of work doing kingdom things, working with the local churches here, Baptists, you know, and, and the Methodist churches here, and the other non-denominational churches here, and the Pentecostal churches here. And uh, one of the things that we have found that connects us is one of the things we all agree on is that Jesus is Lord, right? And, and the, the basic concepts of our faith are right. So everything else we should give to liberty. By the way, that's what I would teach you today. Because, listen, love is what's going to define us. How we treat one another is going to define us. All these stereotypes of Christians, you know, this idea we shoot our wounded. We'd always, we've got to get away from some of that stuff. There's no love in it. I don't see Jesus killing anybody that's hurt. I don't see Jesus doing all those things. I don't see Jesus being mean to people. I think Jesus erred on grace. It doesn't mean it's always easy. But then again, you know, the great thing about Jesus, and in, in, like, I mean, quite honestly, like what we do here, we, this is probably the most traditional we're, we'll, we'll be as a church right here on Sunday, where we, you'll have a pastor who'll stand before you and preach, but this is not church in the book of Acts. Let's make no mistake about that. I don't care how much you've done church, this is not Book of Acts church. So if you're looking for the church that's like in the Book of Acts, this, this kind of format is not it. You know what would be it is if this was a home and we had opened our home to one another and we sat around and we, we encouraged and we left a lot of what our Wednesday looks like is more biblical than what this Sunday looks like. Because, you know, for those who had not been here on Wednesday, on Wednesday we have a meal, we do a little bitty Bible study, but we spend a, predominant, a great bit of the time loving and encouraging and getting to know one another. Building each other up in the faith, asking how your week was, understanding the hardships that you face or that you are facing, bearing one another's burdens, praying for each other. That is a lot more biblical book of Acts stuff than what we will do right here on Sunday. I mean, this is America. This is church as we've made it after our image and not his. Now, can God use this? Yes. Yes. Yes, he can. But we have to acknowledge the truth, first of all, of what church really looks like and what church really is. We have to be rooted there first. Can this work? Yes, as long as we know that. Here's the, the rough part. This has been programmed for a long time. And so what's happened a long time is the church, if we're not careful, it becomes an organization and not a family. Hear me. I was talking to Kyle. We, we got to talking about this last night. It's where we struggle in love. This becomes an organization. What happens is this. When the church becomes an organization and not actually the church, the organization tends to be the most important thing in the church the people are. What it means is decision gets made for what's best for the organization instead of what's best for the people. This is where people get in like, I really hate church. You know, like, I don't think we should go to church. Church is not, this isn't the church. You're right. It's an organization. However, however, there's a lot of good intentions and just a lot of bad. You got to remember, a lot of tradition is in there. And tradition more than the men that's mostly in the pulpits today. It came before them, by the way. So before we get all mad at the pastors in the pulpits now, remember that they didn't start church like this. It started some other way. Because maybe this was the easiest way at the time to really reach people. Here's what I think. That's evolving. That's changing. Right? 
And I can tell you one of the things we're doing here that makes us different is we're trying to find that. Where is that medium between the way we've done church and the way the church of the Bible is? And how can we balance that better? How can we, which by the way, the, the whole motto of, of Mosaic is return, right? I mean, those of you who've been here, you know that, that God has called us to return to the Lord. What does that look like? It means that we might do things that really are not new. We just haven't practiced them and done them in a long time. You just haven't seen them. We're just trying to look at the Bible and model whatever the Bible did is what we're trying to do. Now, right now, it still looks like this. And it might stay like this. And it might change. But here's, here's what God's going to expect. Us to love one another and embrace those changes as they come. Right? We also say this. I don't know a family that doesn't fight. I don't know a family that doesn't wear. I, listen, I had two other brothers. I beat them down all the time. I Man, I laid. I, man, I kept my thumb down on them, man. You know, what is it? We, I got to laugh with my brother while we were hunting. I said, you know, I gave, I gave my little brother a whole peanut butter shower because I loved him. You know, y'all have heard me say some of that before. I was mean to them, but I love them. I call them up on their birthdays. It's, it's my youngest uh, one's birthday today, isn't it? Joe's, it's Joe's birthday today. And uh, I'm going to call him up and tell him I love him. You know, we have, we, listen, we're siblings, man. And aren't we brothers and sisters in Christ? And if we hang around each other enough and all that, aren't we going to have a little uh, uh, argue, arguments now and then and things like that? Aren't that going to happen? Because that's family. It doesn't mean we don't love each other. It doesn't mean we don't come together, right? Some of you are about to go to Thanksgiving. You're going to go have a fo- food and a meal with people you know that you don't get along with, right? Oh, don't admit it in here. That's all right. That's all right. That's just pastor. Pastor is the bad one in here. I'm sorry. So, I mean, this is how it is. This is family. Family's rough sometimes, but it doesn't mean we don't love each other, right? And we've got to get back there. We've got to get back to where we love each other. And love is eternal. Love, Jesus defines love. Listen, it's going to come up again in the next couple of sentences here. It's going to come. So we better get this right. Love is eternal. Jesus defines love. So when we see love in a marriage as Jesus defines love, it is eternal. It means that I will accept you, embrace you, give you grace, give you love, give you patience, give you all those things. I will, I will grant to you. I will give you second, third, fourth, fifth. He defines what love is. Because when we say what love is, we look at Jesus as the master of all love. Right? If, he, if we're supposed to be conformed unto his image, this is how we're supposed to love. Believe me, I've been hurt from some people that, that are in my life over and over and over and over again. And I will continue to be around them the rest of my life. Can I tell you, God has placed those people in my life so I will learn how to love better. Now, I don't like that. Just being honest. But I deal with the truth of it. You know? I deal with the truth of it. The truth of it is God wants me to love them like I love me. And we've got to start finding a way. We have to find a way. And listen, it's easy to love those who love you. It's harder to love those who don't. You know, I've had to remind even my kids at times when they feel like people are being mean or, or bullying or anything like that, you know, we love them back. We don't understand what's happening in their house. We don't understand what their life is going through. We don't understand a lot of things to the factor of why people are mean to us. But what we are responsible for is to love someone else. Their actions don't get to dictate who we are or what we are. And it leads us to the next one, right? Keep on loving each other. And then the next one is don't forget to be nice to others. First of all, when people have bad days, it's usually spawned on by somebody else. Now, I'm not going to grant it to you. I've, I live in a house full of girls. They Sometimes they just have like sporadic bad days. But for most of the time, listen, 
a lot of their bad days can be killed with kindness. Now, is it really what I want to do? I wake up in the morning going, I'm going to have to be like overly crazy nice today. I don't like wake up wanting that. However, I have found that it can totally make their day better. When their day better, it makes my day 10 times better. And it just takes a little bit of kindness to change that. Just a little bit. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The mark of every believer is really how he or she is able to love others as they love themselves. And this has got to be the hardest command from God. And it's also the greatest revealer of the truth behind our heart. I mean, truly, the reason we can't love others like we love ourselves is because it's about us and it's never about them. We want to live more for us than we do about anybody else. We are so selfish. That, and the proof is in how we can't love anybody else or how hard we struggle there before ourselves. Well, I just want to be happy. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. The next one, remember uh, those who are in prison, who, who've been chained, who are mistreated or in bondage. This is the essence of Jesus' ministry. In Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor will come. The greatest and most noblest work of Christ is to set free those who are held captive by physical bars. Listen, mental bars, psychological bars, all of it. Spiritual bars. It's all of it. It's all-encompassing. Freedom, what we sang here this morning, God has called us to set people free. Free from a, a life where you feel unloved. Free from a life where you feel unwanted. Listen, free from this identity crisis that you're facing. You know, the, the one where you have to feel like you need what everybody else has, look like what everybody else is, where you can just be you. One of the greatest things that I think the, the devil really strikes on is the devil's always trying to steal your identity. He's always asking you, who are you? Who are you? He's always asking that. I mean, even in the beginning in Adam and Eve, man, what, he's asking my identity right there. Did God say those things? Really? Did God? Is he really God? I mean, basically, it's kind of what he's asking. Like, is he really God? I mean, is he, I mean, did he say those things? Why wouldn't he want you? I mean, he starts to question God right off the bat. And then you start to question who you are in God, right? Am I? Isn't, wouldn't God tell me these things if I should know? Wouldn't? I mean, it's what happens. And we start to question ourselves as children of God, right? Listen, the seed of doubt is the most powerful thing, the powerful tool that the devil has. It's the most powerfulest thing when he begins to just ask questions. The, 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 oh, man. I mean, y'all have heard me say this. I, I, I do it in, in a mean spirit. You don't need it to, re, you know, don't repeat this. No. Y'all, I've already said it enough out loud. But y'all know, like, when I've said, like, to my girls, just giving them a hard time or whatever, teasing them like a boy teases a girl, and say, you're going to wear your hair like that? And I know that they will go back into that bathroom and spend the next 20 minutes when their hair was fine. But I know saying that, they will think like that. The seed of doubt. Listen, when God began to convict me about that, I say it now in jest, but I don't say it anymore because I know. I know that's torturing for them just because they will go back in there and change everything they thought that they, they had thought about their own selves, right? They got their hair just right. They think they're beautiful. They look in the mirror. They think they're beautiful. And all it takes is one little thing like that. I don't got to say anything like that's the, I don't have to say that. That would be the easiest thing to overcome. The hardest thing to overcome is just the question. Really? Then they start to second guess themselves and they start to doubt. I, I have a tendency to think that the, the, the worst bullies aren't the ones that you think they are. The worst bullies sometimes are your friends that do say those things so they can make themselves feel better. Not necessarily the one who's obviously the bully. Mm, you better not go there. 
Next one is give honor to marriage and faithfulness. Mark 10, 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I can tell you right now, there has been an assault on marriage for quite some time now. It's been more spiritual than natural. The world has tried to change this definition, and we've allowed it to be manipulated into something less loving. But here's the issue. God's word stands as stark contrast to what marriage is now. And there is no changing the biblical definition of love. You don't get to change love being eternal. Love is eternal. You don't, you, you don't get to change that, no matter what. This Jesus defines what love is. It, it defines it. Jesus, aren't you glad Jesus never falls out of love with us? Amen. Because by the way, if I, if I was actually married to Jesus, I'm the worst cheater in here, right? I've left Jesus for so many other idols. I've left him for so many other gods. I've left him for so many other things. I've, I am like what Jesus would call in the Bible, what the Bible like hammers down. If you go back and read any of the Old Testament, I am the most cheatingest bride there is. That's what the Bible says about the church all the time, by the way. And uh, just so you do know, the Bible is not written to the lost. It is written to the saved. Right? It's God's plea to you, his romantic letter of how much he loves you and how much you keep wanting to stray away from him. Right? So before we get all crazy up on people who've gone through a divorce, just read your Bible, church folk. Uh, you've been maybe in a few with God where you've tried to leave him too, but he won't grant you separation. Amen. That was like an amen moment right there. That was a Holy Spirit moment. I'm, we're recording that, right? That was a Holy Spirit moment. God defines the biblical definition of love. You don't get to change it. I know you want to. You want to change it into your image, but that's not going to happen. You don't get to manipulate love so that it's easy for you. Jesus says, man, I'm ready. I'll go through all the hard stuff with you. But you don't understand, Jesus. I'm like this. I do understand. I see you for what you really are, right? We all know the mask you wear. We always say, I think I've heard it too many times in leadership. You know, there's three people, right? There's the one everybody else knows, the ones who your close friends know, and then there's like the real you. That's who Jesus knows. Jesus thinks you're good. Jesus loves you. Like he sees past all your faults, all your sins, all your troubles, all your weakness. He sees past all those things. You know, the worst part about it is like in the times when I feel like God's going to say probably the most awful thing to me, he'll say like the most craziest thing, like, you know, you're my most beloved and blessed. And I, and I will just like break down in tears because to me, like, I know you're lying, you know? Yeah, anybody ever said that to you and you're like, no, you know, that's not true. You're just saying that to make me feel better. Like that's how I feel sometimes about Jesus, right? I mean, like, he'll, Jesus will literally say something to me in those private, in those quiet moments, and he'll rock me, man. Like, I know that's not true. And Jesus goes, yo, that's because that's how you see. Your eyes are still flesh, and that's all you can see. You can't see past that. You can't see me plus you equals awesome. You just see me. You just, you're just seeing yourself. You're not adding me to that equation. When you add me to that equation, when we become the married couple, you, don't, you can't see the bride for what she really is. Last one, be content. Now, this is a tough one. I'll say last one. I got, I got a couple more. Take it back. Be content. Philippians 4.12, Paul saying, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether uh, well-fed or hungry, uh, whether living in plenty or in want. 
listen, once you understand where everything comes from, then you'll start being able to appreciate your life and what you have. And if you fail here, you're always going to live in constant want. Nothing is ever going to be enough. Uh, I have been down that road, actually, before I got into ministry. Uh, the One of the things that I, as a young guy who's in my 20s coming out of the Marine Corps and uh, having a wife and starting to have kids, I began to think, man, we really need some things. And, and my wife had come from a very rough past and a rough background where she was really, really poor uh, um, uh, growing up. And, and it was just, I wanted to give her so much of what she could never have. That was just my heart, so I worked hard, and I did what it took to jump from jobs to jobs until we had reached a place where we were doing pretty good. We were owning our own home, a nice big home. We had a swimming pool and our cars, you know, and we had, <clears throat> oh yeah, we had debt, don't get me wrong, uh, but we had, we had some nice stuff. But here's what was happening during that process. Now, she was happy. She was happy because she had never had any of these things, so these were a blessing from God to her. But here's where it, it got different for us but I wasn't because it seemed never enough. It seemed like I was always feeding this monster of never enough. And as soon as I could make anything extra, like, oh, I got a $2 raise, it wouldn't matter. We would buy something else. And I would need more to take care of all the more stuff I had. And one monster is feeding the other monster, and I could never win. And I, I begin to be miserable and unhappy. And I'm working all these hours to what? Just to have stuff that my kids aren't even old enough to appreciate. Now, looking back, they go, man, I'm so glad we grew up with a swimming pool. It was the best thing ever. But I can tell you, Reese, who's never seen any of that stuff, doesn't miss it at all. And we begin to, to search, well, what's going to really make us happy? What's going to really? And it began when I started to pursue the Lord. And I tell you, uh, one of the great things I pray for each and every one of you is when you finally figure out what it is, whatever your purpose is, because it's different for everybody. But for me, this is it. So it makes going to jobs, working two or three jobs, I don't even care. It makes getting up at five every morning to pray and to seek God and love God and love on him and, and, and dive in so I can teach as much as I do. It makes it like it's no big deal. Uh, uh, I, Ten years ago, 15 years ago, I'd have probably cried if I had to do half the stuff that I'm doing right now. Uh, but the difference is knowing my purpose, settling in my purpose, and it's allowed me to be content in all things. If God wants to bless us, great. And, and, if, and if this is as great as it's ever going to get financially for us, Praise be the Lord. I have found no value in stuff anymore. Now, that drives my wife crazy a little bit. And some of you already know that. But I have no, there's stuff just bears no value to me. You know what's valuable to me? You. People. Like I've said in here before, it's the only thing I get to take to heaven with me. I don't get to take any of my stuff along with me. I get to take you, though. So if we're friends here, the great, the great thing is, maybe we can live next to each other up there. We just keep the old church going. You know, praise the Lord. Amen. So I learned to be content. I can tell you, <coughs> I've learned a lot of leadership lessons along the way. One of the, one of the things that, and I've, some of you have heard this story before, uh, that really was powerful to me in the way of contentment and not really knowing or understanding uh, how blessed you are at times. Um, in, uh, uh, in the early, early, early years, of, uh, in, in, I think it was in Cuba, um, basically there was a company coming in that knew they could manufacture their really cheap. They could pay the workers there a small amount of money, and uh, uh, it, it would be like, literally to them, it would almost equal like a month's pay. Like in a week, they would make about a month's pay for what normally, you know, wages were around there. So they're like, wait, it's, it's affordable labor for us. We're going to give them way more than they're used to anyway, and it'll be great. But here was the problem. These guys would work for two or three weeks, which would be two or three months worth of work, right? And then they would quit. 
and they would live for the next two or three months. <laughs> That's what they would do. They would quit, and they would live for the next two or three months just like they'd always lived on this bare little minimum, right? Well, this was a problem because you need people who are going to stay there. You train them, and you need people to stay, and, and so this became an issue. So you know what they did? This is all truth. The company got together, and they bought or they purchased or, and brought in every one of their workers a Sears catalog. And all of a sudden, these people wanted things that they never even knew they needed. And I think that's a lot how we are. You'd be surprised what you can do without. Most of you don't even need half the stuff you got. How many of you got like dishes or you got like an appliance that sits in a cupboard and never comes out? Man, we had a bread maker in a box for like three or four years. <laughs> I was like, we're never making bread. That's never going to happen. I would love it if it happened, but it's not happening. We probably should give this away to somebody who's going to make some actual bread, you know? I mean, like, at some point, you got too much stuff. You know, it's like, you, I'm not even using the stuff I got. I, I, my wife will tell you, I complain because our, our garage is, like, halfway full, even though we're putting all this equipment in there. We ain't even opened some of them boxes in six months. What's it all doing here? You know, I mean, like, it's, some of it's nostalgic. You know, some of it's kids' stuff. You know, we just from little kids, and we're definitely not going to get rid of some of that stuff. But we're bad about stuff like that. We really, we will buy stuff we don't even need, or we'll buy stuff we know we're only going to need for the next six months. Heck, we, we're already on the next plan, amen? Some of you, like, you're getting the next latest phone every six months, but it's just, it's just become the cheaper way to go, you know? I mean, come on. I mean, like, everything is geared up like that. You ever notice that we've become a rent generation? You don't buy anything anymore, you just rent it? Nobody buys anything anymore, you just rent forever. Who cares? Let somebody else buy it, we'll just rent. I mean, the whole next generation coming up, one of the hardest reasons we have a struggle with the next generation is because the next generation doesn't have to commit to anything. We've raised up a whole culture in business to treat... The next generation where, hey, why don't you just rent it? You don't have to own it. You don't have to bear any responsibility of it. So why don't you just rent it, and that'll be the end of it. And then we wonder why they won't come to church and be an owner, own anything at church. Mm, amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. <clears throat> I could just stay on that subject. The next one, remember your leaders and those that have a positive impact upon your life. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live a peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Pray for those that are helping you. Pray for those that encourage you. Pray for those that have impacted your life. You know, I have some strong friend, uh, mentors in my life and I pray for them always. I pray for their family. I pray for their kids. And I've made a lot of connections over the years with different pastors and I pray for them because I love them because they've invested into my life. The greatest ministry on planet earth is the ministry of intercession. The Bible tells us that Jesus even now sits before the throne interceding constantly before God. Listen, he practiced, he practiced it here and become an expert there. I, uh, by the way, I believe that's our call too. If we're going to be conformed under the image of Christ, we're going to spend more time praying for others than we do ourselves. Because what do we want? Hopefully, we want to believe that others are also being conformed to Christ so, so much so that they're praying for us more than their selves. So we're covered, not necessarily by our own umbrella, but from somebody else's. Wonder why we struggle to love each other? Because we don't even pray for each other. That's directly related, right? You tend to love the person who holds the umbrella for you, right? That keeps things from showering down on you. Usually, it's our spouse or our friends, Right? We've got, to, we've got to work hard here. Intercession 
got to start praying for each other more than ourselves. More than ourselves. Last one, know, know that Jesus is the same forever. He is the way and there is no other. So don't go looking. Malachi 3.6, I the Lord do not change. We change, but the Lord does not. He is righteous, gracious, giving, loving, and forgiving, merciful unto salvation. <clears throat> to model the life of Christ is to model a life lived in response to thankfulness, to appreciation, and gratitude. This is what it is to be Christ. Christ is always thankful. He broke bread and thanked the Lord. He, he's always thankful. Always. He taught his disciples to be thankful, to appreciate the things he had. He sent them out with nothing. And just to be appreciative of whatever was given. I mean, when he sent them out to do ministry, he said, don't take anything with you. Don't take food. Don't take money. Don't take water. Don't take anything. And if anybody opens the door to you, bless them. Be the blessing to their life. And here's what he said. You won't have to worry about any of those other things because you being a blessing to their life, they will bless you. Listen, this is how the church is actually supposed to function. We're supposed to be a blessing to each other in so much that we don't lack anything. Why? Because those who want to bless us will bless us with that as we bless them. And God will meet our needs that way. Right? We, we have this tendency to want to be independent so bad to, to really have not this need. Well, I don't really want to bring my need to, to the church. It's because in the past we like announced it like it was gossip. But truthfully, if we were all a family, it wouldn't matter. We would already know what your needs are. See, again, where we've messed it up by not being family. We've always said church is for families. And you could come here in your little unit and kind of stay in your little unit. But the truth of the matter is you come and you become part of a greater unit. Right? We talked about this before with the sheep. Remember on Wednesday? <clears throat> we come to church wide, not just to forsake the, the, the assembling of each other like Hebrews would tell us, but also because we are sheep and sheep herd themselves together because when there are more eyes, there's easier to say in protection. You know what that also means? I, we were sitting here talking about this the other night, like exploring how far this goes, right? Um, mind if I get a little uh, uh, intimate with you here a little bit on this? So, so like, what it means is if we're part of a great herd, right? It means that if somebody's on this side of the herd and they start to push to the right, I don't go, dude, quit pushing. I go, maybe he sees something that I can't see. Maybe he sees the wolf coming from that way. Remember, he says, I seen you out of sheep amongst the wolves. So he's, maybe he sees something I can't see. Maybe the whole reason we're going right right now, which I have no clue why, because I'm on the right, but this guy's pushing from the left to the right, is because maybe something's coming really fast and he's trying to get everybody out of the way. Right now, I don't know why, but here's the, now here's what we do: we grab money, complain, and send it through the rest of the herd. Hey, dude, what are you doing? And listen, he's like, I ain't got time to tell you. Just keep moving, right? And so I'm pushing hard, and that's what happens. And here's so what's it what's it cause? A lot of grappling, moaning, and bickering. When then the truth and the reality of it, danger is approaching. Right, same way with the other side. It, that's how it happens, right? Who's in the middle? All the women and children. All the weaker ones, because we know if we put them to the outside and we put them on the watch post, what's going to happen to them first? You watch the Discovery Channel, you see it. The little ones get taken down first, right? The hurt ones get taken around first. So what do we do? We put them in the middle. Now, that's going to cause problems. We're not going to be able to go as fast as everybody else can go because we have kids. We have those who are hurt that can't go as fast as everybody can go. So the hurt doesn't keep moving on and go, hey, just let that guy die. They don't do that. They stay there and they move slowly. They catch up. If that means, hey, you don't eat as much as you did, well, that's what that means for right now. 
You know, in teaching, when they teach in class, they teach to the smallest common denominator, right? If you take 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, who am I going to talk to, the 7th graders? Why? Because everybody else is going to understand it. So in, in a way, when we, when we have a class, when we bring everybody in here, I have to speak to the smallest common denominator here because everybody else will understand it above that. So the way, this is the way sheep work. This is the way it works, right? Uh, it's uncomfortable being in the church. It's uncomfortable being sheep, right? Sometimes we step in each other's poop, right? We're all grown-ups, praise the Lord, because if I was in student ministry right now, I don't think I could control the room. <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes it gets ugly. Sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes it gets gross. Sometimes it gets whatever. Welcome to being a part of something bigger than just you. Now, do some sheep make it by themselves? Listen, I've hunted a lot of sheep. Some sheep do hang out by themselves. Can I tell you what happens to them? There'll come a time where they'll slip. There'll come a time, oh, some get big, sure. Ah, that's an old sheep, but they're rare. They're rare. Why? Because nobody's there to watch their back. And you know what probably sent them out? One person who didn't see the wolf coming, and they got nipped, and now it's everybody's fault. And so they're bitter, upset. They've gone out to pastor. They don't ever want to, oh, I'm never going back to church again. That was da-da-da-da-da. I'm gonna, yeah, that's, I don't know if that's smarter, by the way. I'll go survive on my own. I'm big enough. I can handle the wolf by myself. Good luck. I, as a hunter, I'm going to tell you, as a predator, I enjoy seeing one deer at a time more than I do ten because I can kill one deer easy. He's only got one set of eyes. Put a bunch of deer underneath the feeder, it gets very hard to move or do anything because there's more sets of eyes that can see you move. I have to worry about what all of them are doing, where all of them are at, where all of them are looking. And sheep are the worst. I've hunted sheep. They're the worst. They huddle together. And they see really good, by the way. They can see like up to a mile away. I mean, they see better than deer. They do. And you know what's great about sheep is they're kind of like hogs. Once they see something, they just bolt. They don't like even wait around to see if it was a wolf. They're like, hey, let's just go. <clears throat> Amen, right? Sometimes that's safe, right? Because at the end of the day, what are we trying to do? We're trying to live. And listen, is this crazy to think like this? I don't think so. It says, I send you out a sheep amongst the wolves. You know what the following sentence? Remember what it is? So be wise as a serpent, but gentle as doves. I haven't called you to be the, the you're not the wolf killer. I know we'd love to, listen, as a Marine, I want to be the sheep dog. But God doesn't call me a sheep dog. God calls me the sheep. He's not asked me to be violent to the wolf. What he's asked me to do is be the watchman, be a sheep who watches out for the wolf. So there are times where I will press on us to push us one direction. Like, why is pastor going that way? I need you to trust me that we might see something, right? Just like when I see you going away, I don't question like, why are you doing that? I, I trust you. Okay, you only, you, only you can hear the Lord like when he's talking to you. I can't hear God speak to you. So I have to trust you in that moment. Okay, you're hearing from God, right? And that's, why, that's the church, man. We become family. We trust each other. Guess what? I'm going to let you down. Guess what? You're going to let me down. I'm still going to love you, and I'm going to pray to Jesus you're still going to love me. Right? Let's, 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 listen, we've all, we know what church can be, and we should dream for what it really could be. We should dream for that, right? We should be able to look in Acts and long for that thing again, right? This place where they're all families, right? This place where, you know, we're so lost in the praise of God, we don't even recognize it when the apostles knock on the door, right? I heard somebody the other day talk about the silliness of when Peter came and knocked on the door. 
You know, here he is. We're praying for Peter. Every, please get out. Please get out of the jail. Please get out. He knocks on the door, and he goes, hey, this is Peter. No, we're praying for Peter. Come on. Hang on right there. We're praying for Peter, man. You gotta, you're going to have to come back later. It's like, no, no, this is Peter. No, no, we're praying for Peter. Yeah, I, I'm Peter. Can you imagine that scenario break out? You know, it's all confusing, right? But it's family. It's family. There's going to be some funny times. There's going to be some great times. There's going to be times where we laugh. There's going to be times where we cry. There's going to be times where it's struggle. And there's going to be times where it's so good, it's going to be unbelievable. We're going to have problems. I can tell you right now, we don't even advertise and how some of you come. I have no idea. But here's what's cool about that. Can I tell you that as we grow, we're going to have problems because we're going to need leaders. We're going to need people who God, by the way, this is what I believe. I believe God has placed, you have giftings that God wants to bring out of you. God has not called you to sit still. Sorry. Sorry. Now, there are seasons where I believe some families, they need healing and they need to be still. Because you can, listen, by the way, I know in the Marine Corps, I've seen a lot of wounded people carry wounded people, but it won't last long. A wounded person can only carry somebody so far. So some people will need to come and get healed, but they can't stay that way. There's some part where you have to be healed. You can't keep on hanging on to your brokenness, and you, keep, you can't keep hanging on to your struggle as if it's what defines you, because that isn't what defines you. You're defined by Jesus Christ. You're called to be conformed unto his image. And God has come to set the captives free. And as you are free, you are called to free others. How does that look? It could look as a teacher. It could look as a pastor. It could look as a missionary. It could look as whatever, man. It could look as a door greeter. Somebody who has to do what I did this morning, kick all the people out and try to park over here. You got to love those people, right? Love them. That's what it looks like. It's going to be different. But I'm going to tell you right now, <clears throat> if done right, it will be done with a thankful heart. Why? Because you will appreciate the journey. And in your gratitude, you will be pressed into leadership. Why? Because you appreciate and are thankful for all that God has done for you. And you hope that for somebody else. That action is called gratitude. That's how you'll show it. And we're going to give you opportunities because it's coming. We can't keep growing and not have people that are going to greet at the door. We can't keep growing and not have people who are going to help us with the park. And we can't keep growing and not have help back in the children's ministry. Or, or we're going to be doing youth ministry here pretty soon. So, I mean, these things are going to happen. We're growing. And uh, it's a good problem to have, by the way. But know this, a thankful heart will produce actions. I never seen anybody that was thankful for me and just did nothing. Like, when my wife's thankful, she'll do something for me. Hey, go hunt and do this. And I bought you this. And maybe it had to do with hunting. I'm like, yes. You know, I could tell she appreciated me because she bought something that she knew would be dear to my heart, right? So, I mean, like, things like gratitude and appreciation, thankfulness, it comes with action. Love doesn't sit still. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. <clears throat> What a good-looking bunch this morning. We're getting ready to go out, see family. And I know some of you need some prayer, right? You're like, man, I need prayer before I go see family. <laughs> well, that's too honest, Pastor. Don't, don't talk like that. It's way too honest. All right. Uh, uh, we're going to pray. Uh, uh, and if you need prayer this morning, you just want to pray for anything this morning, uh, I want to I pray with you. And uh, meet you right here. And we can pray together. And I would ask that while we are praying here in the front that you wouldn't leave. You wouldn't try to be any, uh, make any noise or anything like to be a distraction. Uh, or, or, or even join us, if you will. Um, 
whether that's where you're at or if you want to come to the front and, and lay hands on somebody, help out there. But uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite whoever wants uh, or needs prayer this morning. And uh, get your hearts ready for the week. Some of you are going to go face people. It might be tough to be around. And I'm going to tell you right now, you might be the only Jesus they see. And you got, you, you're who God sent. You're who God sent. And you need to know that this morning. Let's pray. Father, um, we, we're humbled as we come before you, God. Um, Lord, I, I, I've known you to be gentle and yet skillful like a surgeon, God, to the pointing out of things in our own heart, God. Father, I see uh, what you're teaching us through the book of Hebrews, God, that, you, that you, just your greatness, God, who you are, Lord, and what you've done. Father, and, and, and Lord, even in, in the message today, God, pressing us to be thankful, to appreciate and show gratitude for such things, God. Lord, you're not demanding it from us, God. You're showing us and revealing us that it is the walk of a believer to be such things, God. So, Lord, I pray uh, now, Lord, that uh, if our hearts aren't there, God, that you would begin to place our hearts there, God. And if there are those uh, this morning that are struggling uh, there this morning, and maybe they need prayer, just, a, a, just an encouragement, God, just to uh, uh, stand in the gap with them, Lord, uh, on such things, or maybe things they're about to face this next week, God. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you'd free them right now. No bondage upon them, no, no, no worries, no anxiety, Father, and just bring them right now to the front. If that's you this morning, you just want to be prayed for, you just want somebody to stand with you and encourage you this morning, come forth, man, I'd love to pray for you this morning. Let's just give them a few, a few seconds here. Thank you, Father. Yes, God. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We just wait a few more seconds. If you need encouragement. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for those that you've sent, God. Right now, if we could have some just come and pray and, and, and begin to help me and pray. Uh, and, and encourage and lift up and, and bring joy right now, God. We, we ask for unspeakable joy upon each and every uh, uh, person here today, God. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just begin to speak life into them, God. Begin to speak encouragement that they are a blessing, God. They are a blessing and that they are free from anything uh, that might oppress or depress them, God. That, that Lord, that you have called them your bride, Father, bring encouragement, God. Bring a, a, a lifted heart, Lord, so that before they even walk out of here, God, they feel as if a burden is gone, as if something, a great weight is off the shoulders, God. Yes, God. Father, I feel the presence of your Holy Spirit, God. Yes, God. Do your work, O oh Lord. Yes, God. Worthy, worthy, worthy worthy I pray that you all would know that this morning right now that you would know you are worthy Jesus would say you 
were worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth it. Come against any kind of uh, image that you have self-imposed that you may only see what God sees, that you may see through His eyes, that you may see through grace, that you may see through mercy, and see yourself in Christ, that you may have courage and the strength to withstand the attacks of the enemy, and that as this week comes upon you, you will spend more time laughing enjoying the presence of God, enjoying His faithfulness. Father, we, I, I just give you all, th- all three of these ladies, God. Lord, they are yours now, God. Pour yourself out upon them, God. Make their path straight this week, God. Empower them as strong believers, God, to allow them to be the light and salt of their house, God. That one person with you is mighty and strong and can overcome, oh God. Father, we thank you for that. For all, all, all that are here this morning, Lord, I pray the same thing, Lord. That you would pour yourself out upon their families this week, God. That they would have the best Thanksgiving they ever had. That they would laugh more than they have ever laughed before. That they will start to see the funny things of life and start to appreciate the, the, the life a whole lot. Teach them appreciation, God. Teach them to be thankful, God. And may the fruit of thankfulness bring about gratitude towards what you've done, who you are, and to the love of your people, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God is good, amen? Amen. 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 Guys, I love you. 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 Come here. I love you too. I love you. I just want to say, um, man, if, thank you for coming. If you're new, that red cup on the table, that's yours. And uh, we love you. And we, we ask you, hope you come back. And may you have the best week ever. Again, we're no Wednesday service. We will meet on Sunday. God bless. I love you. I love you. You're dismissed.